1: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Maya Culpa Podcast. Let's start today with some bad news, because it's
2: happening live. It's your interest, anything but a religious view. The um, issue of when life begins has been hotly debated by philosophers since the beginning of time. It's still debated in religions. So when you say this is the only right that takes away from the state the ability to protect
1: the life, that's a religious view, isn't it? Donald Trump's lasting political legacy won't be the assault he engineered on democracy, nor the resurgence of an ugly authoritarian nativism that he unleashed upon this nation like Munich circa 1932. Instead, it's the Supreme Court Stupid, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Berry, the troika of conservative jurists appointed to the bench during Trump's four years in office. And today, they're about to preside over a complete dismantling of a woman's reproductive rights and the eventual overturning of Roe v. Wade. Looks very likely that Roe v. Wade will soon be overturned. And you know, when you think about it, it is wild. It's wild for the United States to take such a step backwards in women's rights. It's almost like the U.S. invaded Afghanistan to defeat the Taliban and then came back to the U.S. like, actually, those guys have some pretty good ideas. And now the truth is, the truth is that this is the culmination of a
2: 50-year plan for the conservative movement to reshape the courts for this very purpose. And say what you want about it, but you got to admit, man, the conservative movement is just
1: that dedicated to protecting life. I mean, not protecting life from coronavirus or, or school shootings or from a lack of healthcare, or climate change, or poverty, or... Should Roe be overturned, at least 20 states will immediately, or in short order, make almost all abortions unlawful, forcing women who can afford it to travel long distances to obtain the procedure. Let's go to the tape to listen to what went down in court today, and what likely will
3: happen next clearly on this issue the court is out of step with the American people and they know that they're out of step with the American people and they kind of tacitly acknowledge that but this is the very conservative Supreme Court that the pro-life movement in the United States has been waiting for for decades and they're moving incredibly fast. I mean I take Neil's point that they moved a little bit incrementally for the first few months but This is sort of lightning speed since they've managed to gain the majority on the court, and they're going to change American life very quickly as well. This is why conservatives stuck with Donald Trump. This is why evangelical pro-life Christians held their noses and stuck with Donald Trump. This is the court that they wanted. But the numbers of people in America who still support Roe v. Wade has held consistently in the majority over the years uh, and and this is going to put the court in a tricky position because they're doing something that is very out of step with where america is it's also going to have a a, the truth of abortion in america is it's economic right it's it's an economic issue and it's going to disproportionately affect minority women and poor women in this country, and they won't feel that this court is representing them.
1: For a certain kind of conservative, the kind for whom banning abortion is the ultimate litmus test, this was the entire reason they held their nose and voted for fucking Trump. If the court strikes down Roe, Trump will undoubtedly remind Republicans that it was his judges who made this happen, which in Trump-speak means I did this. The question remains just how loyal Trump's justices will be in the coming weeks when the inevitable question of his own executive privileges comes before them. On Tuesday, a federal appeals court panel appeared skeptical of the former president's claim that he has the power to block a congressional subpoena for White House records related to the January 6th attack on the Capitol.
2: If he does in fact lose at this appeals court, which is what most observers are predicting, he presumably will keep appealing up to the United States Supreme Court. And that, if nothing else, will succeed in further delaying the matter. And that is not incidental in this case. That in fact appears to be his only real game at this point. He does not have any great legal arguments to make.
1: At issue before the US Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit is whether Mr. Trump is so likely to lose the case that the National Archives should be permitted to turn over batches of records to the House Committee right away or whether they should stay blocked while the case is fully litigated. Uh, Kristen, there's a great deal of concern about these documents getting
0: out. It's the reason why former President Trump has been so adamant, uh, not only that his former aides and advisors not cooperate with this committee, uh, but that these documents not see the light of day. Uh, You know, there are a couple of things that these documents would show that I think Trump wants to keep secret. And one of them is what he was doing on January 6th, who he was talking to, what that call log looked like, what the internal notes in the White House looked like, uh, what sort of messages his, uh, his receptionist and secretary was receiving uh, in the afternoon while the attack was taking place.
1: Trump's lawyers asked the appeals court, if it rules against them, to keep blocking the National Archives from providing the disputed documents to Congress for another 14 days to give the ex-president time to appeal again to the Supreme Court.
2: A showdown in the courtroom today as lawyers for the former president tried to stop the release of his call records and handwritten notes from January 6th. The judges sounded skeptical of the president's claim of executive privilege.
3: This all boils down to who decides. Why should the former president be the one to make that determination?
2: The Trump legal team suggested each document could be reviewed individually. The judges were not moved.
1: Please stop. And this is where the real decision will go down. After all, the appeals to executive privilege were nothing but a stall tactic. Trump doesn't give a shit about future precedent. He cares about Trump and knows that whatever is inside those archives is really fucking bad. I'm worriedly optimistic that despite the six to three conservative court, Trump's
2: justices will nevertheless uphold the rule of law and order the documents released. January 6th committee member, California Congressman Pete Aguilar, said the documents could shed light on new reports. Mr. Trump spent the hours before the Capitol attack working the phones, talking to advisors about ways to stop the certification of President Biden's election. This was a key
0: focus uh, on the president's uh, mind at the time, and, and he was working with his team in order to uh, try to thwart uh, the certification of those balance.
1: The irony of Trump's desire to appoint judges who would overturn Roe v. Wade is the callous nature in which Trump views the lives and health of those who surround him on a daily basis. Hint, the man doesn't give a flying fuck and prove this to a startling degree in his incompetent handling of the COVID outbreak. Worse was the way he dealt with his own COVID diagnosis. What
0: we all saw, you know, in, in real time, Uh, throughout Trump's handling of uh, the coronavirus, you know, from when he was downplaying testing to telling people that they can inject themselves with disinfectants to saying it was a miracle it would all go away. He was essentially a patient zero in our disinformation pandemic.
1: The Guardian obtained a copy of former Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' upcoming book, The Chief's Chief which claims Trump tested positive three days before his first debate against Biden on September 29th of last year. Meadows recounts Trump taking off on a helicopter from the White House lawn on September 26th to get to a Pennsylvania rally right after attending the Supreme Court confirmation event for Amy Comey Barrett now known to have been a super spreader event.
2: It's a reminder, Wolf, of the fact that this White House treated COVID as if it was something they could wish away, as if it was something that Trump just didn't want to deal with, and as long as he was safe, everything was fine. So many people got sick after that, uh, that whole Amy Coney Barrett uh, press event that, that Trump was inviting people into. And then one other point that I just want to make in terms of a reaction. Trump tried to essentially blame one of his aides, Hope Hicks, for getting him sick when he gave his first interview after we learned for certain that he was sick uh, on October 1st when it was likely, and then October 2nd it was confirmed. Uh, clearly based on the sequence of events, he was under the weather before that. And and there are all these other people who caught it after him. So it, it's it's shocking. I mean, it is, it is a, a tremendous disregard for other people's safety.
1: This revelation from Meadows comes on the heels of reports that he will cooperate with the January 6th committee in their insurrection probe. Meadows' testimony is seen as key to the committee's investigation because he was deeply involved in Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election and could provide crucial insight into what the president was doing and saying as the attack unfolded on January 6th. Mr. Meadows is believed to have spent considerable time by Trump's side at the White House as throngs of the president's supporters stormed the Capitol. Mr. Meadows is said to have tried to enlist Ivanka Trump, Mr. Trump's daughter, to reason with
2: her father during the rampage. The committee says Donald Trump's former chief of staff and a potentially crucial witness appears to have reversed his initial resistance to the subpoena he received. Committee chairman Benny Thompson said Mark Memo Meadows who remember is a former house member himself has already submitted documents and will soon appear for a deposition. Thompson added in a statement, quote, the select committee expects all witnesses, including Mr. Meadows, to provide all information requested and that the select committee is lawfully entitled to receive. The committee will continue to assess his degree of compliance with our subpoena after the deposition.
1: The committee is also expected to begin contempt of Congress proceedings against Jeffrey Clark a former Justice Department official involved in Mr. Trump's effort to upend the election when it holds a voting session to recommend that the full house find him in criminal contempt. The vote would be the second such confrontation between the committee and an ally of the former president since Congress began investigating the circumstances surrounding the Capitol riot, which resulted in multiple deaths and dozens of injuries.
0: I can't think of something more Uh, destructive to the Justice Department, to the rule of law, to the Constitution, than what this guy did. I mean, trying to maneuver for your own private ends and using the Uh, the imprimatur and the the legacy of the Justice Department to do that, that is unforgivable. That's why this contempt vote has to happen. There isn't a choice, and it's why Jeffrey Clark can't do anything in terms of answering the questions, because if he answers the questions Congress asks, he looks like, frankly, a traitor or pretty close to it, and that is, you know, obviously not what he wants to do, so he's going to fight this in court.
1: Trump did not immediately issue a public statement about Mr. Meadows' deal with the panel, but he attacked the committee on Tuesday, for moving against Clark. Interesting to watch the unselect committee go after the gentleman at the Department of Justice who thought the election was rigged, but not go after the people who did the rigging, Mr. Trump said in a statement denouncing the panel. Before we get into the main event, I want to say something about what has become a continuing pattern of racism and rancor emanating from the GOP's far right flank. Before we broke for Thanksgiving, it was Paul Gosar's fucking disgusting attacks on AOC in which he portrayed her violent murder. Last week, it was Colorado Representative Lauren Boebert's attack on Minnesota Representative Ilhan Omar, who, as she suggested, was a literal terrorist in stunning Islamophobic language.
3: I was getting into an elevator with one of my staffers, and he and I are, were leaving the Capitol, we're going back to my office, and we get in the elevator, and I see a Capitol police officer running hurriedly to the elevator. I see fret all over his face. And he's reaching. I'm like, the door's shutting. Like, I can't, I can't open it. Like, what's happening? I look to my left, and there she is, Ilhan Omar. And I said, well, she doesn't have a backpack. We should be fine. (laughs) She kept asking for a public apology, so I told Ilhan
2: Omar that she should make a public apology to the American people for her anti-American, anti-Semitic, anti-police rhetoric. It all
1: points to a simmering problem for the GOP as their extreme right flank is quickly becoming the noisy face of the Republican Party. These self-styled MAGA warriors, the direct spawn of Donald Trump and their politics and media savvy, have begun devouring their own like mutant cannibals.
2: On a night when kids have been shot to death in their school and people around the country are concerned about inflation and the new variant and a whole host of other real issues, it seems particularly pathetic to be dealing with the continuing attention-seeking antics of the fringe wing of Republicans in Congress, but they are in Congress and they are raising a lot of money. Talking, of course, about Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene. They have no real accomplishments. They've done no real work in Congress. They are in the past understanding of how Washington works. They're really what would be called backbench nobodies back in the day. Yet they have managed to somehow cow most of their party, especially the leadership, into silence. For that, they've been praised by the former president, of course, and have managed to raise many times more campaign dollars than the average lawmaker. In Green's case, according to the campaign finance database, Open secrets roughly six times the average. So for them, this is a payday, made even fatter, no doubt, by the continuing coverage. But to the extent that it matters who speaks for one of the two major political parties in this country, they sort of can't be ignored. And once again tonight, it's people like Congresswoman Green and Boebert who are doing the talking not their leadership.
1: First, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia called her freshman colleague Nancy Mace of South Carolina trash for condemning Ms. Bobert's remarks in a television interview.
2: We have Nancy Mace stepping up and atta- attacking Lauren Bobert simply because Lauren Bobert had said something about Ilhan Omar. It's like, no big deal, no one cares. These people say worse things about us. They call us all kinds of names. They call us white supremacists. They call Whoa. us racist, they call us insurrectionists. And those are those are nasty words that none of us are. None of us are those things. So when Nancy Mace goes out and wants to attack Lauren Boebert, yeah, she deserves to be called out because Nancy Mace is the one out of line pandering on CNN.
1: Miss Mace then used a series of emojis, a bat, a pile of shit and a crazy clown to describe Miss Green, then kept up a steady stream of social media attacks calling her a liar, a grifter, and a nut.
0: She's crazy, she's insane, she's bad for the party, and I'm not gonna put up with it, and I'm not gonna tolerate it, I'm not gonna be bullied, I'm not a doormat.
1: Representative Adam Kinzinger, Republican of Illinois, came to Miss Mace's defense calling Miss Green. On Sirius Circus Barker mixed space laser, a reference to a social media post that she once circulated suggesting that wildfires in the West had been started by lasers owned by the Rothschilds, a Jewish banking family. Mr. Kinzinger added that Representative Kevin McCarthy of California, the Republican leader and would-be speaker, who had done nothing to discipline rank-and-file members of his conference for bigoted and violent statements, continues his silent streak that would make a monk blush. Get the fuck out of here. Then Representative Matt fucking Gates of Florida, an ally of Miss Green's, took to Twitter to amplify an attack by the right-wing provocateur Jack Posobiec, denouncing Ms. Mace as a scam artist for promoting coronavirus vaccinations on CNN. LOUD NOISES! The carnival-like behavior would amount to little more than an entertaining sideshow if it did not have real implications for midterm campaigns and possibly a fractured Republican majority in 2023. And why all of this matters? This extremist scourge of imbeciles and maniacs wrought by Trump will prove to be the undoing of the GOP. Moderate swing voters reward Greg Youngkin for his MAGA with a smile politics, but this flame-throwing, fire-breathing nuttiness clears a room faster than a fart in a car. Democrats must capitalize in this and push the narrative that a return to power for the GOP means the validations of these insane fucking monsters And now for the main event My next guest on Mayor Culpa is none other than Tennessee Representative Steve Cohen. First elected to his House seat in 2007, Cohen has become a preeminent progressive voice and moral compass within Congress. He also quickly earned a reputation as a champion of civil rights and justice on the highly influential Judiciary Committee with Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi referring to him as the conscience of the freshman class in 2008. That same year, he was instrumental in passing the first of its kind House resolution apologizing for the enslavement and racial segregation of African Americans. Nowadays, he is chairman of the Judiciary Subcommittee on Civil Rights, Ethics, and the Constitution. Beyond his leadership position, Cohen is a steadfast voice against the rising tide of right-wing extremism. Last May, he introduced H.R. 1405, which would produce a cause of action to remove and bar from holding office certain individuals who engage in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. The prescient move is a potential bulwark against Trump from holding office should his actions on January 6th be found culpable for inciting the mob that terrible day. In addition, Cohen has tangled with Trump's right-wing congressional goon squad taking on Lauren Boebert after January 6th for potentially aiding insurrectionists. He joins me on Mayor culpa today as Democrats took a much deserved victory lap for the Build Back Better Act. He was also instrumental in helping pass a censor vote against the insane Paul Gosar and has much to say about the violent political rhetoric of today's GOP. So get ready for one hell of an episode, folks, and let's go now to that conversation. So, Congressman, pinned at the top of your page is a remembrance of the late, great John Lewis, with whom you served for many years in Congress. I'm curious what you think he would make of not only the January 6th insurrection, but of Trump's big lie and the shift that's happening towards authoritarianism on the part of the GOP.
0: Well, Congressman Lewis would be appalled. And he and I were two of the first people to say that Donald Trump was an illegitimate president. Those were the words of John Lewis and, uh, from day one. And I joined him in not going to the... Uh, State of the Union address or any of the State of the Union addresses, not going to his uh, swearing in ceremony, uh, etc. Uh, the man doesn't deserve the uh, didn't deserve the office. Uh, he didn't deserve the uh, the podium and he disgraced America, I think, in, in, in his time in office. So, yeah, John Lewis was early. He was the first person to really stand up about Donald Trump and his uh, just lack of, a, of uh, gravitas his lack of uh, American values and the fact that he was a grifter and going to be looking after himself and his family rather than the country. So he would be appalled. January 6th would have really shocked him. That was obviously initiated by President Trump uh, and a Benedict Arnold type of treason uh, that should go down in infamy and the committee's trying to get all the facts so the American public will know it. But John Lewis would be totally uh, aghast at all of that and uh, he almost, he gave his life or w- was willing to give his life for people's right to vote and for this country's great history and the, 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 the Constitution and, and giving people opportunity. And he stood up and he was arrested many times for getting into good trouble, as he called it. Uh, what those people in Washington were doing on January 6th was bad trouble. They were trying to overthrow the government. And it was at the direction of Donald Trump, the instigation there of Rudy Giuliani, of Donald Trump Jr., all the other little Trumps, and the former mayor of New York, uh, Rudy Giuliani.
1: Well, let's not also forget Josh Hawley, Lauren Boebert, you know, the whole, the whole crew of misfits, you know, all joined in in the same rhetoric. You know, a lot of people don't realize uh, John Lewis's history. I mean, going back 17 terms that he served— in the House of Representatives. I mean, first elected, what was that, in 86, in 1986. But they also don't understand what his true background was as a pioneer. I mean, starting in like 1961, I think he um, he was one of the original, what do they call them, the freedom riders, that he and I think it was like uh, seven uh, black men and six white men were going to jump on the buses and travel uh, together. I mean, the man is a legend. He's an icon in civil rights, in democracy. And that's really why I asked you the question, what he would think of somebody like Donald Trump. I do have to say, Congressman, that you know when, when you said, and, and I, in some respects, I, obviously I agree with you on everything, but I think Donald Trump had the right to run, as does every American citizen, right? The, the crazy thing is the fact that this lunatic, right? This Captain Chaos actually won. And on this side of the aisle, right, when, you know, we were, uh, when I was certainly promoting his presidential run, one of the things that myself and others used to constantly talk about is that we were always hoping that he would rise, rise to to the level of the office of the president of the United States, as opposed to debase it and sort of sink into this, this, um, This toilet or like this dumpster fire that he ended up creating of the office, whereby he doesn't believe that he needs the house. He doesn't need the Senate. He is the all powerful, the almighty and all powerful Oz, right? This little man, you know, and I'm not talking about in terms of height, but in terms of mental um, capabilities. This little man sitting there pulling a whole bunch of strings, blowing fire out, right? This larger than life character to scare people. That's exactly who Donald Trump is. I mean, the Wizard of Oz was written, in my opinion, you know, for Donald Trump.
0: Well, I agree with you. That's certainly true. And I saw when you bring up John Lewis and Donald Trump, that John Lewis was a hero on the freedom, the bus rides, the freedom rides through the South, where they beat people and, and destroyed knocked over the buses and they were all arrested. But he also the sit-ins in Nashville at, at the Woolworths to get African Americans the right to be able to use public facilities just to eat at a Woolworths. And most of them were at places like Woolworths. Uh, we're not talking uh, French restaurants like uh, um, like they have in New York. We're talking just to get go into a dime, a five and dime store and sit at the counter. But when he, uh, at, at some point Trump made some comment, and it might have been after John Lewis's passing, and it might have been earlier, but he said something like, it was earlier, and he said, I like people uh, uh, of action, not people who just talk. And John Lewis was a man of action. He was beaten when he led the the Selma uh, march to Montgomery, initial march for voting rights, and this Alabama state troopers on horses and with clubs held out, charged him. And he stood his ground and it was beaten almost to death, but he stood up for the right to vote and was the leader in the front lines. He was a man of action and Donald Trump doesn't get it. He's a man of, of, of words and he is like the Wizard of Oz. I saw somewhere recently, where they said that maybe the quintessential American movie about so many different things. And of course, a lot of great quotes from there, but uh, I guess you could say with Donald Trump, not, we're not in Kansas anymore, but we're, we're no longer, we're not in Trump Tower anymore. He never knew that. He never saw that.
1: Yeah. That's a great that's a great comparison, right? Uh the the wizard of the Wizard of Oz's um, you know, lair and Trump Tower. It's a it's a great visual. Yeah, but there's
0: no Judy Garland, unfortunately. You know, maybe Nancy Pelosi's Judy Garland, I don't know.
1: <laughs> we can cast a whole new crowd here of individuals, right? And we're going to make, we'll make a whole new Wizard of Oz, you know, featuring Donald behind the uh, the curtains and can't wait for a dog. Because, you know, Donald doesn't like dogs. If you notice, I think he might be the only president in history, at least as far as I could remember back, that didn't have a pet at the White House. Why do you think that is, Mike? You know, did, did
0: he bite a dog at some time in the past
1: no, no, he never had. He never had pets, even as a child. Um, he's just—he's not somebody who's warm. He doesn't want to have to take care of a pet, even though you would think with all of his, um, you know, with all of his money, he could find a dog walker or somebody to groom and take care of it. He just doesn't want to be bothered. He's more than happy having an inanimate object like a golf club to walk around with all day long. Um, You know, and of course, brag about what a great golfer he is, which of course is just one of the 48 million lies that he has told since obviously taking office. But no, he's never had a pet and he's not a fan of animals.
0: Well, narcissist is a term that's applied to him. And a narcissist to the nth degree, which he is, would not want to share any time or attention with any other person, really, uh, and, and indeed not an animal. But it is strange. Every president's had a pet. The Clintons, I guess they had a dog, but they certainly had cats. And, and that just it's kind of a, what typical people do. And he just has no ability to, to, to give and, and to care for anything uh, but for himself he's a very very unusual person
1: yeah very well he did have a couple of pets I mean he had Steve Miller he had uh, Steve Bannon he had Jason Miller who's a lap dog you know he had uh, Corey Lewandowski another lap dog right uh, Mark Meadows you know come here mark <laughs> Right. (laughs) Right. That's what I do want to ask you, Congressman, you were instrumental in the passage of the Build Back Better plan. What part of that legislation do you believe will be most transformative for the American people?
0: Well, the the most biggest percentage of money went to clean climate. And in the long run, we have to preserve the earth. And and, and we're we're endangering the earth and have been with, with carbon fuel and fossil fuels. And so I think the 500 plus uh, billion dollars that went into uh, preserving the earth and cleaning us up with grants to folks doing nuclear, uh, wind, and solar, in the long run is going to be super important. But lifting a lot of children out of poverty, the child tax credits lifted 40 percent of the children in this country who are in poverty out of poverty, and that's so important for the next generation and for people who need a need a little step up in life and to have weren't weren't given like Donald Trump, uh, unbelievable amounts of money from day one and and so much money that they hardly could could fail. He he still failed and failed and failed, but he was bailed out by his father. Most people don't have that. And this child tax credit is real important. In my state, expanding Medicaid is seriously important. There are about 11 or 12 Southern states, predominantly Southern states, that didn't expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. So people were denied Medicaid services. That this will get them Medicaid and health care, and health care is so important uh, to everybody. And, and that's that's but there's so much good child care is important to give working women an opportunity to, to get into the workforce and, and not to have to stay at home and, and care for the children, which they had to do so much during coronavirus, in particular for elderly people. And uh, I'm getting into that age crowd, uh, you know, to have for this mostly for low income people the chance to have somebody come in, uh, skilled. Uh, and treat you in your home. Uh, your home is important to you. You Want to be in your crib, and uh, to have somebody come in and take care of you and help you with your meals and with minor, uh, uh, maybe even uh, you know personal hygiene needs. That's important. So we did things for the elderly. We give people an opportunity to get hearing aids, which people need through through Medicaid. So our Medicare and there was just so many important things in that bill. Clean water. We've got poor lead pipes in Memphis that were highlighted up in Michigan. But kids drinking water contaminated by lead, that shouldn't happen. We'll get rid of all the lead pipes. We'll extend broadband to inner cities and rural areas where they don't have it. If you don't have broadband, you can't be a part of this society, which is a high-tech society. So, yeah, and we're going to prove the electric grid. So there was a lot in the bill. Uh to say what's most important. It's all important.
1: I, I totally agree. You know, I want to break down the bill um, for a moment because— I'm sure you've seen that Joe Biden's favorability ratings are not, in my estimation, where they belong. I think the guy's doing a great freaking job. I want to be honest with you. I actually think he's doing... Now, do I think that everything that he's done so far is great? No. Do I think that some things could have been better thought out? Sure. Why not? But for the most part, I think he's actually accomplishing... Look, let's put it this way. This Build Back Better bill, he's now passed... In the first year of his presidency, Trump didn't pass shit in his in his entire four no, years. He, did. he had he one. Did. Well, he, he had a bipartisan first step act. He, he did the tax scam. And that was and I'm not going to use
0: your word, but it was that four letter word that starts with S. So he did pass.
1: Yeah, You know what? You're right. But. But Congressman, what bothers me the most is that he's not getting, meaning Joe Biden, meaning Kamala Harris, meaning yourself, and so many others that were involved in this bill, you're just not getting the credit for it. And if you would, I just want to unpack a few things here that I pulled off of the White House's um, report onto it. The most transformative investment in children and caregiving in generations. How can Republicans turn around and fight with that? How can somebody say that? Joe Biden's not doing something good. How about the largest effort to combat climate change in American history? Right. Again, it goes on to the, whole, to the whole notion that what is wrong with cutting these carbon emissions and you know polluting our, our Earth? This is the only planet that we have. And I see, like on CNN, they have this thing looking for Planet B. Listen, folks, in all fairness, when they find it, Yeah, let me know. But chances are they're not going to find it. We are a freak accident. This earth with the Big Bang Theory is a freak accident of just situations that ended up developing to exactly who and what we are. To destroy the only place that we can exist, as far as I know, right, makes no sense to me at all. The biggest expansion of affordable health care coverage in a decade I mean, is there anybody that doesn't have an issue with health care coverage? I'm pretty sure the answer is no. And if you're fortunate enough and you have a job and that health care is covered by your employer, you know, God bless. But you see every single year they take a little more away from you. They raise your deductible. And then the second that you put in, um, you know, a bill and that you have your copay that they're increasing. I mean, everybody can benefit everyone, Republican, Democrat, independent, that everybody can benefit from affordable health care. And then the most significant effort to bring down costs and strengthen the middle class in generations. Now, these are just some of the things that are talked about. I don't understand how it's possible that members of the GOP, whether it's members of Congress or just the average citizen who is a Staunch Republican. How is it that you can't agree that this bill is beneficial to all Americans? Well, part of it, Michael, is that Donald Trump's
0: against it. And so Republicans genuflect to Donald Trump. They genuflect to him in all so many ways, including the bipartisan, and it was 16, I think, or 17 Republican senators on the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Uh, that's a bill that. Nobody should have been against it was traditionally the bi- infrastructure is a bipartisan situation. Everybody uses roads and bridges and airports and, and, and river ports and ocean ports, and everybody uses transit. And everybody A lot of people use Amtrak, etc. cetera. And that should have been a no-brainer. And it creates jobs, good middle-class jobs. And yet people didn't get behind it. There were only, I think, 13 Republicans who voted for it. Every one of them should have voted for it. And it was just a shame. And the bill Back Better... Well, there were a lot of things in there that shows the Republicans are a greedy party. They are the party of the rich. That's 85 or 88% of the benefit of the tax scam went to the upper 1%, and that's who they genuflect to. They same, you know, so when you get a bill that helps the middle class, a lot of these people are evangelical Christians, And, and be it, you know, it shouldn't be for a Jew to tell evangelical Christians about the Bible, but the New Testament in Matthew says you see somebody naked you clothe them you see somebody hungry you feed them you, you take care of people that are have problems and and that's all through uh somebody's ill you, you you heal them that's what this build back better bill did it gave people the chance to be uh have a chance and not to be hungry not to be in the, in the cold and to have housing uh housing is a fundamental uh it's it's It goes with all Judeo-Christian values is what this Build Back Better bill was about, is helping somebody that needs a, 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 a step up, a hand up, and, and that's something you ought to do. Uh, but the Republicans won't do it because of Donald Trump. There are a lot of Republicans in Congress who are pretty good people, good people, my friends. Not Marjorie Taylor Greene, not Lauren Boebert, not that Cawthorn guy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of them that are just, there's some of them are yahoos out there. You got Gosar and you got, you know that whole team but but a lot of them are good guys and given if they Donald trump didn't talk against it they'd have voted for the infrastructure bill and they might have voted for a bill back better they yeah they could say that they had a fiscal problem with it it cost a lot of money but there were 17 uh nobel prize winning economists said it would not increase the the, the inflation at all so and it would create good jobs and it would get goods to market so yeah it just shows that they're a selfish greedy party and Donald Trump is the perfect leader for those people because he is greed incarnate.
1: Yeah. Well, you are 100% right about that. I have seen that firsthand. But, you know, going back to the better to the bill, uh, the Build Back Better plan. Do I like everything in the bill? The answer is no. I don't. There are a few things that I don't like. But as a whole, I am a big supporter of this bill. And so should everybody. And the point I'm trying to make is you don't have to like every single thing in order for this bill to be considered, you know, quality and, and, you know, and good for all. Just for me, the infrastructure part and the climate part are more than enough For me to want to vote for this bill, if I was in a position to be voting for it, the infrastructure to me is so important. Look, I've seen, and I know a bunch of inspectors who have taken a look at some of the the stuff that's going on with major bridges here in New York. They are rusted, they are decrepit. They are dangerous, and what are we going to do? Why do we have to be always reactionary it 's not as if they 're not sending drones now underneath these high definition camera drones underneath where no man could have gotten before without risking their life. Now they just send a guy up you know with a with a drone he sits there with his computer. you know the thing is just sitting it's visual, it 's visual you know taking um, ca- pictures of it with not just regular um, photography, but also with infrared and all sorts of other um, technology that are attached to it. And we know that many of these bridges are in serious, serious need of repair. The infrastructure bill will give us the financing in order to get this thing started. Why do we have to wait till, God forbid, the bridge falls down and people's lives become lost simply because we're being reactionary? That, to me, is stupid. And I don't understand, again, how people can fight on both sides. Okay, fine. You, you don't like this specific section there giving, I don't know, health care to um, illegal immigrants. For some reason, they're, you know, all of a sudden this couple of million dollars for them is like the, this is the red line in the sand that they have to draw. Just infrastructure alone, they should be all on board because each and every state is going to benefit from it our roads here in new york look like look like afghanistan looks like somebody blew up half the roads there's not a day that goes by that i'm driving that i don't see a car broken down or more than one on the on the highway simply because they have flat tires and why they have flat tires because the concrete is exposed and there's rebar underneath, and the rebar shreds the tire, and so the car, of course, has a blowout and it's stuck on the side of the road. Why? I mean, with the United States of America,
0: Michael, there, there are two different bills, and the infrastructure bill had, I think, it did have 13 Republicans in the House, I think 16 in the Senate, but that was a, a minimal amount, and everyone should have voted for that, no question. And and on the on the Build Back Better, uh, we had no Republicans at all. And that was just the the, the the greed factor. And and there were some things in the bill I didn't care for either. To be honest, I didn't care for the section that gave, uh, lifted the, the the state and local tax level from $10,000 up to $80,000. I think the Senate will deal with that. It'll give a lot of millionaires a tremendous uh, tax advantage that they shouldn't have had in the bill. And it was a mistake, I think. But we had to get Goddheimer's vote from New Jersey. And uh, there's a couple of people from New York uh swazi over i think he's got part of long island they both insi- he does they both insisted on those sections the bills and i guess at the eighty thousand dollar limit well i wouldn't i thought about joining G- jared golden who's very conservative and voted against the bill the only democrat to do it because of that fact but i realized bills are passed with compromise and if you get down there and you consider yourself muhammad or uh, gandhi or jesus and you're gonna everything has to be exactly the way you say and you're perfect you're not gonna ever pass legislation you've got to accept nancy Pelosi had to accept things to put together the votes and she did it the senate will cure that i think and they will limit it to maybe people's incomes of five hundred thousand dollars or less whatever level they come to will be an improvement i didn't care for that there were some other things in the bill i didn't care for but you know it's 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 like an impressionist piece of art Uh, It does not exactly the picture, but it all comes together and that impressionist thing is what you vote for. And that's what you have to have to get a majority, especially when you have no Republicans. So for the Republicans to bitch is ridiculous. They're the ones that caused us to have to accept some things we otherwise wouldn't because we didn't have any of them. We had a three vote margin and uh, that was just wrong. Pelosi did a great job getting this passed. She is. I thought about this today. I did some buttons after the uh, uh, Affordable Care Act was passed. And it was about three years afterwards. It was an anniversary. And I got these buttons with Nancy's picture on them. And it said Pelosi care. And it really hmm. was Pelosi care. She did more to get that bill passed than, than the president did, than anybody else. And I thought I should get some buttons printed and pass them out up there next week to say the GOAT. You know what the GOAT is, Michael? No, I don't. Well, For that reason, I probably shouldn't do it because people think it was something different. The GOAT is an acronym for the greatest of all time. And Muhammad Ali, there's a big uh, uh, kitchen table or living room table, whatever it is, book that was done called The Goat, Muhammad Ali. The first goat, I think, was a fellow whose name I cannot recall, but he was maybe the most famous playground ball player uh, up in Harlem or maybe down there. at the, I think it was in Harlem. I don't think it was the court down there in the village. But he was a great basketball player and they called him the goat, the greatest of all time. Mickey Mantle was the goat, Willie Mays was the goat, Sandy Koufax was the goat, Nancy Pelosi's the goat.
1: Yep, John Lewis was a goat. Um, so, um, Congressman, let me ask you this. For my listeners, the January 6th committee is cru- it's a crucial step towards uncovering the truth about one of the darkest days in recent American history. But there is also... A real worry that the people who are are most responsible, mainly Donald Trump and his cast of criminal toadies, will escape real accountability. Now, beyond creating something that will stand the test of time and become the definitive account of what happened... Is it your hope that if criminality, mainly sedition or incitement of an insurrection, are uncovered, that these people will ultimately face a judge and a jury?
0: They should face a judge and a jury. There's no uh, privilege for them after their president. There's there's no attorney general's uh, office of legal counsel opinion that you can't indict a sitting president, which is what it says. You can indict a non-sitting president, and. All these individuals that are being, have been charged with crimes for invading the Capitol and fighting and dis, dis, displacing objects and you name it, they deserve the prosecution. But you take the but-for rule, and I don't know if there is a but-for rule, but we're going to have a but-for rule. But for any of those people, any individual, the, the thing would have gone on. Each of those individ, None of those individuals were responsible for the activities on January 6th. But for Donald Trump, there would not have been anything on January 6th. He is the main criminal because he was the beginning, the continuation. He caused it to happen. But for him, it wouldn't have happened. But for all those individuals, including the shaman with his, you know, public exposed and his headdress and all that (laughs) stuff, it's still to happen. they still to have done it. So Trump should be should be charged and have to defend himself in a court of law. And so should Giuliani and uh, Bannon and, and all the Cretans that uh, were that were involved. And, and mostly they're at the Willard Hotel and they were planning it on that day. They knew exactly what was going to happen. What do you mean when you say you're not going to have a country if you don't fight like hell? What do you mean when Giuliani says we're going to have trial by combat? And what does Bannon mean when he says the day before it's going to be wild and you know, it's going to be crazy? They knew what was going to happen and they planned it. So they, they should be prosecuted just like Aaron Burr, uh, He's a traitor and and a treasonous person. And anytime somebody tries to overthrow the government, which has never happened by a president, it needs to be investigated. Merrick Garland should have a special counsel on this. If the Democrats lose the House, the Republicans will end the investigation and there will not be an answer. And Bannon's just trying to run out time on the subpoena to require him to testify, as others will, till the time that he thinks the Republicans will get the gavel and Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan will jump over each other because they don't want to have to testify either. And they both knew what was going on. And they, you know, Kevin McCarthy didn't call uh, uh, Antifa. He called Donald Trump to call it off. He knew what was happening. And Jim Jordan did, too. Jordan called him several times. They knew exactly what was going on. And Trump let it occur and let it go on for hours and hours and hours because he's a megalomaniac, narcissistic, sociopathic S.O. I'm not going to go to the B.
1: Right. Well, let me ask you, look, let me ask you this, Congressman, all right, because I was going to say the exact same thing that you did. Where is Merrick Garland in all of this? There are documents, no doubt in my mind, that there are documents um, that could easily prove that all of these cast of toadies were responsible for the January 6th insurrection. You know, one person you didn't mention is Donald Trump, of course, himself, telling all of the people that were there Right um, through the microphone, I'll see you over there. Now, of course, Donald didn't go there because he's a he's a he's a coward. He wasn't going to the Capitol, but he wanted everybody else to go. And so, by telling them, "I will see you there," he was directing them. And folks, I talk about how Donald Trump talks like a mob boss. He doesn't say, "I want everybody to go over there. I want you to wreck the Capitol." try to get a hold of Nancy Pelosi and kill her, get a hold of Mike Pence and hang him on the gallows that's been built right here in front of the Capitol. He's not going to say that because, look, as stupid as he is, he's not that stupid. But one of the things that we know is he came straight out and said, I will see you there.
0: He said, I will walk with you to the Capitol. And he said, if you don't fight
1: like hell, you won't have a
0: country. And what he meant was to white people, you'll have a country that you'll have to inhibit. Inhabit with with African Americans and Puerto Ricans and Mexicans and Jews and gays and everything, but what the white evangelical Christian crowd thinks it should be in charge.
1: Psh, unbelie- I mean, it's it's unbelievable. The fact that we could even, Congressman, have this type of a conversation that the President of the United States really truly believes in white supremacy, that he believes in white privilege. It's it's really stunning that this is, you know, the 21st century. I mean, you would think that, you know, he should have been around, you know, three, four hundred years ago because his ideology is so, it's, it's so passe. deluvian. It was,
0: there was a time when I thought he was just using these people and he did use them. He, he, he was able to hit upon a, a, a spot in America and take advantage of it. Like, There were other people in history, Billy Sunday way back in the 20s. And and there were politicians that were George Wallace in the 60s and early 70s to hit on that angry uh, mob group of people, angry middle class white people that thought that blacks were taking something from them and it was a racial basis to it. But, you know, when you realize that his father was cited at a Ku Klux Klan rally in the 20s, and that's a fact. I don't know that he was convicted. I think they let those people go, but he was, he was one of the people at the, at the riots, and I think he was cited with a misdemeanor citation. When you know that Woody Guthrie, the great folk singer, wrote a song around 1950 called Old Man Trump. And it was about him not allowing African-Americans to get into his apartment buildings that he had. I mean, Woody Guthrie recognized his father as a racist and a bigot in a song, Old Man Trump in the 50s. Apple did not fall far from the tree.
1: Yeah, that's certainly for sure. But, Congressman, after the election in Virginia, many of us, I mean, many of us are really worried about the midterm elections. The idea that the lunatics could take over the asylum and regain the majority, to me, is terrifying. And you already brought up one of the points, which would be that the January 6th committee would, in my belief, if they took it over immediately, would be disbanded. What are the Democrats doing to make sure that this doesn't happen?
0: We're doing all we can, but it's a terrible situation, Michael. I mean, we're trying to, we pass what we think is good legislation. We know it's good legislation for the middle class. And you get the word out to them with every uh, congressperson in the Democratic caucus, encouraged by the leadership to go out and make five uh, appearances a week. Uh, to let the people know where we'll improve the infrastructure and improve their lives. Uh, we're trying to get the message out. Uh, we're raising money. Uh, we've got candidates that we know are in the, in, in the triggers are the, the trigger, ha- the hairs of the of the opposition. We call them frontline members and we're concentrating on those folks and the Congress to be elect them. So we're doing what we can do and, 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 and we've got different people working on it as well. The problem is this year, uh, the redistricting has been done in, in a very poor way. And I'm sure Democrats have done it in Illinois as well. But there are less states with Democratic governors and Democratic majorities than Republican states. Uh, and they, they have redistricted several people out of their seats, Democrats in North Carolina. G.K. Butterfield retired because his seat was going to be difficult to to hold. Uh, there's a, a couple of folks have seen the same situation in Tennessee. I think we're going to lose Jim Cooper. Uh, they're going to redistrict Nashville into three different Republican seats rather than one Democratic seat and just make Nashville part of otherwise rural seats. Uh, Texas has got that situation. They're going to create a couple extra seats for in redistricting. And there's not much you can do about it uh, unless you have a Voting Rights Act. And because of the filibuster, we're not able to pass the Voting Rights Act and, and and get pre-clearance requirements, which were in the original Voting Rights Act, passed bipartisan, with more percentage of Republicans than Democrats back in. The, when it when it passed originally, uh, but it, it's scary as hell to think that they would come in and think of who. If Trump's the president, who will he appoint as attorney general? And they will appoint uh, uh, arrest people at will for all kind of ridiculous things. And people will commit crimes because they'll know that they'll get pardoned. You know, he pardoned Flynn. He pardoned for lying to the FBI. He pardoned uh, what's the guy that wears the hats that the. the, 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 the
1: Roger Stone Roger
0: Stone, He pardoned him, and they just flaunted the the, the judicial process, the rule of law. Uh, you know it's it's scary what would happen if it was a second Trump term and they wouldn't even try to hide their drifting because uh, he, he wouldn't be seeking a third term but you know it's just not going to happen. but uh, it's it's scary and and, I, and it's scary to think of the Republicans being in control of the house uh, what they would do that we'd get nothing done and if they get the Senate too. Biden's stifled and we have no progress and then it'll be more likely than not that uh, the Republican has a better chance to win in 2024. Uh, so it's a scary, that's a scary proposition. And I think that's one of the reasons some of the Democrats are not running for reelection, not so much that they think we're going to lose the house, although it's historically the party in power loses in the first midterm election. Uh, and you've got this redistricting, which comes about with the, the census. And, uh, and the new laws that the Republicans are passing to put legislators, not election commissions, in charge of the final results, which sets up a situation for them to try to throw the thing into the House where they'd have the majority of, of districts that they did last time, the majorities of states. Uh, people don't want to see that. And I'm going to run for re-election. But to be honest, Michael, it's, it's a tough thing to do. I think it will be it will be a, a, a horrid chamber to be there with the Republicans in charge if they are in charge. And, and they very well might be in charge. And it, you know, I, I, I don't know if you know that there was a movie with Alan Bates in it uh, uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s. What was it called, uh, uh, King of Hearts? And it was about a, a, a war and the insane asylum was uh, a city that had an insane asylum and the people in the insane asylum were the only people left after the war. And you get down to it, the people in the insane asylum were the only sane people because the people committing the war crimes and, and engaged in war were crazy. You think about war. War is, what, what's it worth? You know, what was it? Uh, who, who was the group? What, war, what's it worth? Absolutely nothing. And it is people engaged in that. And what you'd have with the Republicans is like war and those people at, at cultural wars. And uh, it would be the idea of due process, the idea of personal freedoms. The Constitution would certainly be at risk.
1: So, Congressman, let me then throw this idea to you. One of the biggest problems that I always see with Democrats and the whole Democratic Party, and I've been a Democrat despite what people think and you know about me because there's so much misinformation and disinformation. I've been a Democrat my entire life. And, you know, I, I go back to 1987 when I worked for Congressman Joe Moakley, you know, in the Ways and Means. And I was working on the Safe Cigarette Act for him for a year and a half um, that was around the time, of course, that uh, Dukakis decided to run for the president. But Democrats have always been poor when it comes to messaging. And that's something that the Republicans, and especially Trump, excel at, is the, is the messaging. Despite the fact that the message that they're, that they're promoting is a lie, right? That doesn't matter. They're just effective in getting the messaging out. I mean, Trump uses the media. I know because I was part of that usage of the media, Democrats must do the same. They must go ahead and they have to start now talking and creating these, almost like the way the Republicans have the CPAC, right? They need a D-PAC. And you need to fill the place up, not just with the usual faces, but there are people like myself that have a massive, massive Um, following, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Facebook, social media, the podcast, right? There are people that are out there. AJ Delgado, Scaramucci, got Amorosa, Rosie O'Donnell. You got the Micellas Brothers from Midas Touch. You have so many people that are out there. Malcolm Malcolm Nance, you have, I mean, Lawrence Tribe. There are people with really large numbers of followers. You got to put them all in there, make it into an event. And, you know, just constantly hit. I would like to see 20 different people with large support system out there promoting, right? Congressman Steve Cohen for his upcoming re-election. You should never be losing your seat, right? Not a, not when the Republican is running as a Trump Republican, a man who wants to shred our democracy, who wants to destroy our constitution, our way of life all in all in um you know, in search and seek of power and that power is for him and his family. And that's just not America.
0: No, it's not, Michael. And when you said that they lie, they do lie and they don't care about it. And that's an advantage they have. The Democrats, you know, I'm not going to say the Democrats don't sometimes kind of go around the edge of the truth and kind of get on the fringes or something. You know, Linda Johnson, you say, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. My kid, you can't time or two, but they don't just (laughs) lie like Trump and the Republicans and their and their people got eat it up. And they've got, you know, he says, I like the less educated. That's what Trump says because they'll buy his lies. They won't question it. And so they've got an advantage there. But you're right about putting together a group of people, as you mentioned, some of those folks. And the person who I think is our best communicator is Al Franken. I think Al Franken, who's who does have, I think a podcast or something on, on online. Uh, he does. He's brilliant. He's brilliant, and he can tear Trump apart, and can every time he tries. And I tell you, who else is good? Is Oberman, Keith Oberman's got a, a lesser uh, platform, but Keith Oberman is brilliant, and he can the worst person
1: in the world. Congressman, you're preaching what I'm just stating, which is that the Democrats have to put on the gloves. They, you know. Yes, I know the Bible always says turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek. We can't afford to turn the other cheek. We have to be the ones that are out there punching and hitting hard and not not into the gut. I'm talking about square into the middle of Trump's fat face, right? You got to put him on his ass. You got to put the whole group of them. You got to put him down. This is exactly what you do to an animal that's sick. Right. You need to put him down. The guy is rabid and he needs to be put down. And if the Democrats don't start getting they don't start getting tougher, people are seeing them the wrong way. And it's why even this Build Back Better bill isn't getting the attention and and Biden is not getting the lift for doing really a truly remarkable thing in such a short period of time. Well, you're
0: you're right. And there's no question about it. We need to do better in our messaging and uh, and we need to go after him. uh You can't beat a bully by being the nice guy. And we're too much the nice guy too many times. I sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland. And I think Merrick Garland is a decent, good human being, but I don't think he's in the right position. He was in the right position when he was the uh, judge on the Court of Appeals, and he'd have been an okay person on the Supreme Court. The reason President Obama nominated him for the Supreme Court when they wouldn't give him a vote when they should have, and it was a theft of a Supreme Court seat, was because President Obama knew Merrick Garland was kind of an even balanced, even tempered guy who listened to the arguments and he was he he was he's a Democrat. He tends to do the right thing, but he's not out there on a limb. And he thought the Republicans might accept him as a Supreme Court nomination. That's the reason he was nominated and he wasn't accepted in the attorney general's office. You need a fighter. You need somebody to fight for the country. And, 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 and I don't see judge Garland doing that. He's a judge who's deliberate and listens to both sides and listens to precedent and tries to do, you know, things in a very gradual way. We're not in that time period in our, in our history. We are at, at, at a, uh, very scary moment we could lose democracy and everything that the previous 250 years of American uh, policies and, and, and judge judge decisions are at stake. The Founding Fathers work's at stake and uh, a lot of people, so we need, we need that's, but it's just unfortunate, but I wrote that letter. Another letter I wrote, which I know you're interested in, and we haven't talked about, and this is the news to you, but I wrote a letter today with 17 co-signatories to the president to encourage him to expand his uh, commutation list for people who were given house arrest during the COVID crisis. Uh, there were house arrest issued to people who were incarcerated uh, so they wouldn't be at jeopardy of getting uh, uh, COVID and allowed to go home and they were vetted and they went home and and house arrest and they didn't commit crimes and they basically passed the test. And in my opinion, with the prisons overcrowded, they should be get get commutations. Now, what the president did is he offered that opportunity only to people who had drug offenses. I've been a strong supporter my entire career, going back to the state Senate days and my days when I was a police attorney back in the middle 70s for decrim and for uh, uh, alternatives to to arrest in our car, in, uh, uh, in lieu, uh, citations in lieu of arrest for marijuana and for other and for rescheduling marijuana. So I agree with drug offenses, people should be allowed out. They're victimless crimes. But there are other people with victimless crimes that didn't involve drugs, and you're an example of it. You really were a political prisoner. But there are people who had victimless crimes and otherwise good records who also should be considered for commutations. It's my understanding, and I don't know this from a source that comes – they claim to have information from the White House. I don't know if they do or don't, but they say that there are 2,000 or so people – in that category who were released for house arrest who had drug offenses and the white house only plans to release 200 of them how they're going to pick the magic 10 percent is they don't want to have a willy horde but it, it means injustice continues and unjust uh uh incarceration continues and and you can't uh, you need to act boldly president obama issued commutations to over 2,000 people at the end of his terms, most commutations ever issued since I think Jimmy Carter doing a mass amnesty for people who went to Canada protesting the, the Vietnam War, the draft and all. Uh, those 2,000 people, I think only one got in trouble, only one. So I don't think you have to worry about Willie Horton and people need to be released. And my suggestion to my 17 host signatories, including, uh, AOC was that, uh, People who had committed victimless crimes should all be considered for commutations. And we hope that we'll get the president's attention. We don't know if we will or not, but it's it's always good to strike out and, and speak for the right thing and hope that people will follow.
1: Yeah. You know, like right now today, of course, you may have heard I am now officially off of home confinement. They ran me, as we say in prison, door to door. Right? I got no benefit for my 400 plus hours of testimony, my continued cooperation with the DA and the AG and everything else in between. But I do also have, which people aren't, may or may not be aware, the judge, William H. Pauley III, also gave me three years of supervised release. This is insane. I mean, for what? Because the president got his pecker pulled by a porn star and I did an NDA? I mean, this is out of control. And you, you, Congressman, were good enough to actually ask Merrick Garland during the hearing um, of, of Merrick Garland when you turned around and you said to him, um, you know, I, Michael Cohen has a felony on his record. Spent time in prison for paying it the direction of President Trump. Hush money to Stormy Daniels and another woman. By the way, I want people to know I never paid for Karen McDougal. And for some unknown reason, Judge Pauly, who knew this, and the prosecutors who knew this, didn't care. It was all, It's not about prosecution for the Southern District of New York or many of these prosecutors. It's about conviction. And that's something that Judge Jed Rakoff penned an amazing article in like 2014 entitled Why Innocent People Plead Guilty. But you also then further go on and say, I believe that it's pretty well known that President Trump was individual number one, as described in the indictment. He couldn't be indicted because the Department of Justice policy, you don't indict a sitting president. He's no longer president. Right he's no longer sitting president, and do you believe that not looking into indicting individual number one equally if not more guilty than Michael Cohen is not an abuse of equal protection under the law and an abrogation of the idea that the rule of law is principle? by the way, forgetting about the fact that it's me, and of course i can't because it is me it's it's a hundred percent true. not only did the Southern district not proceed with sealed indictments that they had against Trump. Don Jr., Ivanka, Jared, Eric Trump, Alan Weisselberg, and a multitude. There were 12. They turned around and they stated, we don't have enough information in order to prosecute. Well, that's interesting because you prosecuted me for it. And so the other charges, which were tax issues, which, by the way, I have never in my life ever not paid taxes. I've never even filed a late tax return. I've never asked for an extension. I've never not paid tax. I've never had, like Paul Manafort did, overseas bank accounts or nominees. I'm a first-time first offender, and I paid the tax issue before sentencing, and none of this helped me. And now, for another three years, I still have to be monitored. Now, it's nothing like this home confinement nonsense. But why should I, why should I be inconvenienced? One iota when Donald Trump, Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka, right, Alan Weiselberg, um, and so many others are walking around unscathed. Michael, you're exactly right,
0: and and they they should be indicted, and they should they should suffer for the injustice that they that they that they got involved. In. That was he basically won the election by getting Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal not to tell their stories. If they would have told their stories, I suspect he would have been. A, a loser uh, in, in that election. And that's one of the reasons he was an illegitimate president. Plus, the Russians did get involved in, in manipulating the uh, certain states that they were given information through uh, Corey, what was his name? What was the campaign
1: manager? Corey Lewandowski. It was Corey Lewandowski uh, as well. Well, it wasn't Corey at that time. It was Steve. Ba- it was uh, Steve Bannon, but it was Jared in Cambridge Analytica uh, well, with um,
0: the a, campaign manager. We, we indicted him too, and he got off. It so wasn't with all the fancy suits and spent all the money on the absurd things. Paul,
1: Ma- Paul, Ma- Paul, Paul Manafort.
0: Manafort got the got the information to one of the Russian guys. There's no question. They gave him the, the areas to concentrate on, and that's why he became president. But you were a political prisoner, and, and it's really a shame that you spent the three years and it And When you tried to talk about your book, and that's when they popped you back in the slammer again, it was just like something Putin would have done. It was just trying to just limit your free speech, and that's why they put you back, and they put you in solitary confinement. Fortunately, a judge let you out, which was the right thing to do. But your situation is really a crime and a stench and a stain on American justice, it continues to be. And in my letter to Merrick Garland that I wrote this week to him, I asked him to act not just for the betterment for the country, but in other cases, and to to take a firm stand and to go go on on against Trump. Um, His answer to my question at the hearing was, we can't discuss its policy, what we are going to indict or what cases we're looking at. There's not much of an answer you can give to that, because I understand it. We just got to hope that he's looking at, at, at take, bringing actions against Trump in the sub.
1: Well, with your help, I'm sure that it, it'll move further. But I also heard, Congressman, that Mark Meadows the other day floated the idea that the GOP would kick Kevin McCarthy to the curb should the GOP flip the House and make Trump the House Speaker. I saw this on television. I honestly, I I heard about this conversation going on, but I didn't think it was going to actually hit the um, you know, the the media outlet. Apparently. One does not need to be an elective representative to be made speaker. Discuss this with me. Do you think that, first of all, do you think that would happen? Do you think Donald would even accept the role as speaker?
0: Well, it can happen. You don't have to be a member of the House or an elected individual to be elected speaker. The majority does that. And, and the Republicans are, are genuflecting and lackeys to Trump. They could do it. And it'd be a way for him to have immense power because the Speaker of the House has immense power without having to run for election. And he could continue to grift and have power and sit there and pontificate and whatever. I don't know that. But the Republicans could do it and it would be disaster for the country. It would be disaster.
1: Yeah, I don't personally, I don't think he would even accept the job, though, of course, he would turn around and say, oh, of course, of course. I don't think he would, because obviously it's kind of like a president then becoming a mayor of a city, right, or a governor. It just it's it's. Beneath the office that he held, and if he's going to continue to grift off the notion that he's going to run for the presidency in 2024, I don't think being Speaker of the House uh, is going to help him because he would be completely ineffective the same way that Kevin McCarthy is ineffective. He would be the same. But let me ask you this then. Last week, in regard to Russia, you wrote the following, and I quote, If Putin remains in power beyond May of 2024... The U.S. should refuse to recognize him as president of Russia. We should not recognize an autocrat violating term uh, limits, rigging elections, and abusing human rights. If you would, unpack this for me and my listeners, if you could. And do you not find the irony that we're facing similar issues from our own former president as well?
0: It is difficult.
1: I'm the co-chair of the Helsinki Commission,
0: which is an organization for security and and cooperation in Europe, formed in the nineteen middle 70s at the Helsinki uh, uh, Conference. And it's to look out for human rights and freedom of elections and uh, freedom of the press and uh, non-government organizations being treated properly, et cetera. Uh, the, 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 Putin changed the Constitution, had it changed with a constitutional amendment that was done in an irregular fashion that was an illegal fashion. And so he wants to remain in power for another two terms after 2024. He will have run Russia basically for 20 years. He wants to run it till he dies. He and Trump are so much alike, and it is scary. And when I speak at, at Helsinki Commission meetings about the rule of law, and I realize that we had some dances with the not having the rule of law here in America. When I talk about uh, autocrats uh, and our opposition to autocrats, uh, and then I think about Trump, who a, a, a would be autocrat and if he got elected, he would totally be one. But he, he acted in his own capacity and flaunted the law constantly. In fact, the first meeting we had with a group of people it was a cocktail reception up on top of a building on Pennsylvania Avenue. And I spoke and I looked out, and we were overlooking Trump Tower our Trump Hotel. And I said, no, what better place could there be than Trump Hotel, where we've got our own autocrat and all the autocrats going there and buying rooms? It's, it's scary. We've never had this situation before. Uh, we are democracies in danger and we're doing a lot of things. And, and that's why I don't know what Putin had on Trump. I think it was the fact that they did get involved uh, in, in the election with social media and getting people to think a certain way and helping influence voters and who knows what else they did. But Trump absolutely cowered before Putin and uh, Trump. Putin's got something on him and Trump owes him. And whatever it is, Trump would not allow anybody else in those meetings. Trump would not allow the the notes from the meeting to be uh, distributed to the to the American people. He tore them up, and he and, he, and the the when the the stenographers work. There's something really afoul with what went on with Trump and Putin. And I understand when when Jared Kushner, Mnuchin, I know for a fact. Well, I was in the in the Middle East last week, and. I had an individual I spoke with who worked with the American embassy in, in, uh, he wasn't in the UAE, he was in the Saudi embassy, but he said that when Mnuchin came and spoke with uh, the the crown prince, uh, Mnuchin didn't allow any embassy officials with him at the time. So what's he hiding from embassy officials? And Jared Kushner, the same thing, they went out on a boat with MBZ or whatever his name is, and they go on a boat and not have embassy personnel present. Every president, every public official, when they go overseas, embassy people are with you to advise you and to take notes. Something
1: not not if you don't want anybody to know what you're talking about. It is very clear. Kushner did it. Um, You know, Mnuchin did it. This is all part of the grift. This is, I mean, now you have... Kushner has a billion, mega billion dollar fund, real estate fund.
0: fund, and Mnuchin had a two and a half billion dollar fund with the Saudi royal family. They cashed in immediately.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 amazing to me. Don't forget that somebody came out of the blue, Middle East. I believe it was Cutter, went ahead and they uh, bailed him out of 666 Fifth Avenue. The worst real estate deal in the history of New York. Jared Kushner trying to be a big guy. And now what happens? He goes ahead and he puts together a, a real estate fund. Look, if I wasn't looking to invest in something... I certainly wouldn't be investing in his fund. That's for sure. The guy has no real f- solid real estate knowledge. Yeah, his father built a big business of, you know, properties in New Jersey, and when the father got into trouble and was indicted and incarcerated, he took over, and that's when he decided he wanted to be the big man, the big macher on campus, ends up going to 666 Fifth Avenue, worst deal in history, almost puts the company and the family in bankruptcy until they get out, Somebody really needs to step up and start investigating this nonsense, because these, this guy was the senior advisor to the, mo, to the dirtiest president in the history of our country. And yet, there's no charges for that. Where, where are all the charges? Where's the special counsel? Where's Merrick Garland on this? This is why I say... Democrats have to put the gloves on and start swinging because they have all the ammunition there. They have the big heavyweight in, in the ring to knock them out. It's just that simple. Just nobody's doing it.
0: Michael, I can't say anything, but I agree with you. I've made those arguments. I was for impeaching Trump way early. I did file articles of impeachment against Trump. It wasn't favorably looked at by my leadership. I held off as far as I could. And when Charlottesville happened and the moms are said, they're they're good people, on both sides, and I'd seen the people go, the Jews will not replace us, and waving those rebel flags and Nazi flags, I could not hold back, and I filed my articles. Uh, it was the first articles filed, the substantive articles, and uh, but I got some brushback from my leadership for it, and they, they are, in my opinion, a little too timid. But you know, we couldn't convict him, we had good cases for impeachment, we couldn't get it with the Republicans in the Senate, and it's just unfortunate. Just terrible.
1: Disgraceful. It's more disgraceful than anything. I
0: wish you the best and a happy Thanksgiving. And we're going to keep working on our letter and trying to push for justice for people and for victimless crimes. And, And that's something we need to do.
1: You know, Congressman, I have just one last question for you. I know the hour goes really, really quickly. The Kyle Rittenhouse verdict on Friday, while expressing the will of the jury, nonetheless, exposed... A really frightening aspect of our society where people like Rittenhouse have been elevated into martyrs by lawmakers and pundits on the right. Do you worry that this type of white vigilantism will become more prevalent and encourage groups like the Proud Boys or the Lone Wolves like Rittenhouse or the two men who murdered uh, Ahmaud Arbery uh, would end up doing the same thing or worse?
0: It's going to happen, Michael. I have no question, but there's going to be violence. Uh, and 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 I know that the shooting of, of, of Steve Scalise was wrong, and that was a Democrat left-wing guy. But the right-wing have got most of the guns. They're angry as hell. There was one of them who said recently after some meeting, when do we get to use the guns? Uh, it's scary as hell. Just last week, a man was sentenced in Missouri for threatening both Congressman Emanuel Cleaver and myself saying he had a, a noose for our necks. He was going to drag us behind his truck. He called Emanuel Cleaver some racial names. And and, and for me, he just hated me. And he he's going to serve, I think it was as much as 39 months in jail. He's got credit for seven months he's already done. So there are people who have made threats. There will be people that try to carry out those threats, especially with all these lax state laws that let you have open carry, like Rittenhouse had. Rittenhouse, I don't know that the prosecution did a great job. I didn't keep up with it that well. so it's a little difficult, but but it's hard for me to. The first guy he killed was was unarmed, crazy, but unarmed. And he shouldn't have shot him. Now, he went there looking for trouble and he was a kid who's not been shown a lot of uh, maturity or, or, or wisdom in his life. And he goes there with a gun and he shot and killed the, the, the first guy. And then when he ran The guy that was trying to hit him with a skateboard, yeah, I don't want to get hit with a skateboard, but that's not the type of attack that would merit and and allow self-defense using a rifle to shoot somebody and kill them. It's supposed to be an equal amount of force to to put off the force that you're threatened with. Now, the other guy that had a pistol,
3: yeah,
0: that that might have been a self-defense case. But uh, a skateboard, uh uh-uh. That's not self-defense, and the first guy was not self-defense, and it does encourage other people to think they can get away with vigilanteism, and it invites it. And I've been, I've been expecting something terrible to happen to somebody, uh, and I just I just hope it's not Democrat or Republican, any elected official, but it'll happen.
1: Yeah, let's let, let's all hope, and Congressman. Um... Steve Cohn, thank you so much for everything. Thanks for joining me today Mayor Coa. thank you for that letter. please um, as a selfish exactly. as a selfish, um, would you please um, help because I have gotten absolutely no help from, from anybody you know um, so far and I would like this chapter of my of my journey you know to be over because I hate to say it. Uh, actually I don't hate to say it. I'm enjoying saying it. Trump will ultimately um, face a judge. There's no doubt in my mind uh, here in New York with the DA and the AG, there's no doubt in my mind that he and other members of his inner circle will ultimately uh, face a judge and also suffer consequences.
0: I'll be in your corner like Boudini Brown was in Muhammad Ali's corner. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, rumble, young man, rumble. (laughs)
1: Thank you so much, Congressman.
0: You're welcome, Michael. Take care.
1: Be well. Thank you, sir. And now for today's mea culpa. My conversation with Representative Cohen reminds me that within the halls of Congress, there is real and substantive resistance to the rising tide of authoritarianism and GOP insanity. My concern, though, is that lawmakers like Cohen are becoming a vanishing breed in this age of outrage. Their moral authority is being shouted down by a new breed of troll masquerading as politician. They must be exposed for their hypocrisy and clear and present danger to this nation at all costs. Even though their latest publicity and fundraising spectacle is another sad reflection of their party's dangerous descent into extremism, It nonetheless presents that Democrats with a prime political opportunity to expose the hate squad as the modern face and true power center of the GOP. If we are to push back against these fucking lunatics, we're gonna have to get into the mud a bit and wrestle with these pigs. These clowns keep using the squad to get themselves in the headlines. It's time that Democrats make Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gaetz, Madison Cawthorn, and Paul Gosar into their own brand and force the rest of the Republican Party to account for these attention-seeking racist fucking morons. Unlike the Squad, modern Republicans really are actually violent, dangerous extremists who support insurrectionists and terror. They love the big lie, promote anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, give cover to dangerous hate groups, endorse a violent insurrection, and have a history of disobeying law and order. Bobert, for example, has been arrested more times than any other sitting congressperson, and she ignored court orders. As far as family values are concerned, Bobert's husband was arrested for exposing himself to minors and Matt Gates, Green's dynamic partner in buffoonery, is currently being investigated for having sex with a minor and traveling with her across state lines. Why this has not been weaponized and pushed out on an industrial scale is beyond me. From a political standpoint, these foibles are a gift from heaven. It's high time we use them and send these fucking maniacs home and restore the halls of government to honorable men and women like Representative Cohen. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.